Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Well, we're back. We've been taking a break. This is Stories Are Soul Food. We've been taking not a holiday and New Year break. We've been taking a Brian has a baby break. And... I had one. Well done you, well, Brian. My wife did. <laughs> I Good decided job, it was time. I decided it was time that we take a break for Brian to have a child. Yep. That was because beneficent. It had been a while. And mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Kid number five. Boy number five. When is number six coming? Well, you know, we take it a day <laughs> at a time. Is it too soon? Is it we too take, soon? <laughs> we take it a day at a time. Boy. <laughs> with the newborn. <laughs> baby Cinco is here. Baby yeah. Solomon. Yes. Middle name? James. That's what I thought. Solomon yeah. James. Yeah. Nickname? Saul. Solly. Saul J? Yeah. Soldier? Yep. I've got both of those. And for some reason, my four-year-old's calling him Saucerman. Saucerman? Saucy man. <laughs> Saucy man. That's yeah. what we put on his basketball jersey. Yeah. Saucy man. Yep. Uh, he's got soul, but he's not a soldier. Right. Um, You're not the first with that one. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm just the best. <laughs> just, the best. <laughs> just the one with the widest reach. So now everyone <laughs> yes. knows. <laughs> yes, yes, he's got soul, but he's not a soldier. That is a reference to which band, Brian? Well, that uh, that's the Killers. Yeah, that's so. the Killers. That is those uh, those plaintive poets from the deserts. Yeah, who have Las recently Vegas. been trying to reconnect with their Mormon roots. Their latest albums were really good, but also good very Mormon for them. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it has to do with wanting to reconnect with a Mormon woman. So you have to kind of rediscover what she cares about. I don't know. I didn't pick up on that desire for the Mormonisms in the last album. Uh, Pressure I, Machine? Is that the one we're talking I about? Didn't, I didn't look super Are you talking closely. about the Mirage one? Because they me. did two latest albums and uh, uh, Exploding the Mirage is not so Mormon. So. But uh, Pressure Machine is. This is important that we cover this. I think it is. I really um, like the killers. So because Brian also, yeah, imploding the mirage. Yeah, see that one's not are. so Mormon. It's the next one. They did a, a okay. small, small town, a small town um, ode to drugs okay. and trains and small town life and skinny ties. Yes. Yep. <laughs> drugs, train, trains, name tags, and yeah. skinny ties. <laughs> yeah. What are what are all these name tag references? I'm not sure. I don't get that one. Oh, um, who is it? I remember some some critic was saying that. Um, the artist I can't stand named Sufjan Stevens. Mm, he's really done a lot to make us all hate him. I can't stand that that Sufjan. Yeah. Um, was trying to do an album for each state. Yeah. And that we all just have to respect the killers for just producing albums only about Nevada. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. over and over and over again. Who knew that Nevada needed so many albums? My children... When they have heard me listening to the Killers, have pointed out that it, he, they sound a great deal like Springsteen, and yes. in their cadence, in a lot, in a lot of the uh, the crowded nature of the syllables, and mm-hmm. a lot of the tempo, and then of course they also frequently do not. But it is like Springsteen. The Pressure, the pressure Machine album is that I Springsteen think. in Nevada. Springsteen, Wait, Utah in, or Nevada? Nevada. Nevada. They're they're Vegas people. Oh yeah. Okay. There we go. These are Vegas children. Right. I think I was thinking Utah because Mormon. But. Yeah, because you're <laughs> prejudicial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to all our Mormon listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. These Some Mormons come from Sin City. Come on, Brian. Okay, that's enough on the killers. People who are wondering, man, what kind of music do these heathens listen to? These people who believe in 
stories uh, being sold food. It's about killing sin. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's about mortifying the lack of rhythm. There we go. (laughs) That's a tag. I don't like, I don't like all of the killers to be clear. They just have some fantastic songs. One of which is, I don't know the title, but has the refrain. I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. Absolutely. And because Brian just named his son, Solomon James. Soul J. Yeah. Obviously, this will be a reference that comes up frequently. So anyway, yeah. You wrote a little story here for Soul J. <laughs> yep. We got it. Soul J. Cole. Yep. Uh, welcome to the world, our peace child. So <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Congrats on baby Cinco. Thank you. Do we talk about boys today or do we go with till we have faces? Well, we're starting a year. Yeah, I thought I think so. May as well screw up now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You should tell the marketing people to put that on uh, a little promotional and share that meme everywhere. or whatever. I hear they've been sharing memes. I'm not really on the socials, so I don't know. I don't stand behind anything being shared on the socials. The may or may not have my face. Mm, I also it. will never share anything with my face on it. Yeah, I feel like it's I. You know, there's some Levitical law against that somewhere. It just feels kind of packaged. Feels kind of wrong. Deeply wrong. Like I shouldn't be mm. using socials to share anything with my face unless it's a selfie after having plowed my driveway, which I recently did. <laughs> uh, well, see, no one else has the compunctions about sharing your face. So I don't know what that says about modern <laughs> business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're talking, we can talk about a lot of different stuff. We can talk about till we have faces. We can talk yeah. about Lewis. Again, we may as well start the year off right instead of wrong. Mm-hmm. Boys could be a great topic, but if we talk about till we have faces. Yeah, I know. think it's been a while. We've hinted at it. We've teased it. We've danced around it. Let's yeah. talk about it straight up the middle. Yeah. And it's a, it's a book about justice and also human perception. And probably Lewis's worst novel. Okay. Right? Those are fighting words, right? I mean, isn't that true? Wouldn't you say that? I, I, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Neither would I. I was surprised. I was like, I don't, I'm not sure where we go from here. Um, <laughs> if you think it's his worst novel, <laughs> I think it's his best novel. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Okay. We're at explain. An go ahead. Explain. Unpack why you think it's his best novel. And then as soon as I said that, I remembered how much I like that hideous strength. Yeah, it's okay. Let's pre- pretend like that doesn't exist. Yeah. So uh, if I had to, if I had to say the novel at its best is that is, or the novel qua novel. <laughs> to be pretentious per se <laughs> is about a person exploring what it means to it's it's to be themselves it's about it's about the self exploration i think well that's kind of um that sounds self actualizing but that's not how i mean it i mean this book is about orwall as she comes to understand the true view of herself and it's and this god's is, view. this is interesting because the true view of herself is how much she sucks yep and it's actually god's view of herself And how much her own view has failed to actually see what she's like. So a a bad version of a novel would be taking yourself and explaining all your failings away through the power of your own story, which I've read plenty of those. Right. And and a good novel, I think. Explaining away one's faults. Yeah. I think this one. Things that were done to you when you were young. Yeah. Or medium aged or old. Right. And this one is so the sickening feeling as you begin to see her as she actually is rather than as she has projected herself is masterful. So if I had to make an argument for this being Lewis's best novel, I'd say it's because it's his best character study that just is all Orwell. So there's my argument for it. Best character study makes it the best novel qua novel. (laughs) 
<laughs> poke holes in it. <laughs> if we were going to say it's the weakest novel, what what would we point to? The last third. Why? Because it's just basically Lewis explaining all his themes. <laughs> yeah. He stops the story and just explains everything. Kind of unpacks. Yeah. yeah. And we like him enough and he's interested enough that we want to hang out with Uncle Clive and have him explain. Right. Um, but yeah, it is a bit explainy. I've, I've frankly never understood anybody who could maintain this as his greatest novel. Okay. Now, I understand people saying, I, this is my favorite of his novels. I get that. Mm. Because the, it's a very different thing because it, its effect on you is, is a very, is just, a wholly other thing than its actual objective quality. So we all know yeah. this about food. We know this about blankets, <laughs> couches. Yeah. Um, there's there are certain things that we have deep affection for that have uh, you know they've impacted us in different ways. So uh, we have loyalty to them, and they have a, they serve a particular role in our own narratives or in our own development. And so we have loyalty to them, which causes us then to make objective proclamations about them. <laughs> which is not necessarily the case. So I could say macaroni and cheese is my favorite meal is different than saying macaroni and cheese is the best food ever. Right. Right. So what I really it? like macaroni and cheese. I would not say it's the best food ever. And I, I do think that till we have faces is no, is no mac and cheese. I think it's a far more sophisticated meal than that. But I also think that there are some significant, flaws and that that back i would say probably like the back 20 percent as opposed to the back third but okay yeah maybe even less than that but the finish the tail off at the end if we're judging it as a novel you know if that's what we're doing yeah as literary art yeah if we're just yeah. if we're just getting away from the wisdom of it from our deep affection to to lewis from his insight and perception and we're focusing on the craft it's something that you see Chesterton do all the time, much earlier and far more clumsily than Lewis does at the, at the end there. But where it becomes so very idea-driven and it becomes... Yeah. The um, story stops. Yeah. And the book goes on. Yeah. I think is the best way to describe the end of Till We Have Faces. Yep. So, and part of it is like a long finish. Like if you've had an excellent whiskey and you've done it correctly, there's this long flavor, this long finish. But... It's like Lewis can't quite put it down. He's not able to put this down and walk away. It's affected him deeply. And so he's over fussing with it and trying to make sure we all get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and in his defense, most people still don't. <laughs> so is that a problem because he tried to do an entire woman's life? <laughs> is, is that the issue? Is his lens too big? He's almost, he's tried to intentionally take a God lens. That big. I don't know. I don't think, I think other guys have done it. Other guys have done it more effectively, even. Other guys have written novels spanning lifetimes more effectively. That's not to say the novels were superior, but that particular use of a lens that size. Okay. So it's was, not the lens that's the problem. Yeah. This, a lens this size has been used and has been used effectively. I think that his desire to make, this is something I'm not going to say dogmatically, but it is something that has to do with what rubs me wrong about it is how he moves into needing to have made a theological point as clearly as he does mm. about the nature of holiness instead of letting the narrative play out yeah, and have the theological point be intrinsic, latent inside the, the in-flesh narrative. He actually has to pull it out and pin it to the wall 
and then lecture on it. Yeah, because when you're looking through that book for what the book is about, you can find so many quotes about how the human views themselves and yep. how envy works and how. Yeah. Um, and so she's faceless and we have this thematically. She's ugly. And so spoiler, she's ugly. And she and she there's a brilliant insight into marketing, by the way, early where she's she discovers that she's ugly and people can't stand to look at her and she hangs a veil over her face. And so she develops this reputation of being this terrifyingly beautiful queen. Um, mm. You know, it's like as soon as she covers her ugliness. Yeah. Now, the thing that's interesting about that is I do think there's a deep metaphor there about holiness and the terribleness of holiness. Yeah. Where it's actually ugly. There's an actual ugliness to it. I do, I do think that it's, and what I mean by that is not a true platonic ugliness. I think it's, it's a grim, bloody, dark. It's what we mean by you can't bear to look at it. Yeah. Right? That feeling works for both beauty and ugliness. It's, this is not, if, you, if you're standing next to true holiness as a human, it is terrible. Yeah. Moses' face there, you would take that veil where he comes down from Sinai and has to veil his face. Do you think he's it was shining? I think, yeah, I think well he's I think he's veiling the consequences of it. I don't think he's veiling the the thing itself. But so she's also not approaching God. She's approaching, you know, a different just, you know, a placeholder. This is the Cupid psyche myth. So there's something right. different. The the rock, the altar, you know, this horrible, this holy place that she's going to. But she is kind of like a, she's a metaphor for that to the commoners, to her own commoner. She's a metaphor for what the stone is and the whole religious experience yeah, is for ungood. her. Yeah. So the, the ungood experience for her religiously is what the commoners experience to her, you know, to, to their queen is there's actually a veil there. And when, if that veil were removed, it would be, it would be actually be grim, mm. you know, a grim and terrible experience, not a, not a lovely you know, bluebirds and, and, uh, gummy bears moment. Yeah. So, but I think that he kind of gets sucked into that concept and, and starts playing it out conceptually. Cause he, I mean, he is an academic and he's a theologian and he's a philosopher and he's a novelist and an artist. And I think he moves outside of the music. He moves outside of the character journey and he doesn't put down his violin bow. <laughs> he keeps going sawing away <laughs> yeah he keeps going now do i happen to appreciate reading his thoughts yeah i do yeah, uh, it's, yeah. that's different you know it's a different thing it's not it's it's getting at what uh, a friend shared robert ebert you know roger robert dear robert <laughs> ebert's quote that a roger <laughs> roger ebert <laughs> that a movie's not about what it's about it's about how it's about it or something like that then that's kind of what you're saying is that he's changed from how the story is about holiness to having to explain yeah that this is what i was saying do we do we mind that a ton though no well so here's the thing no i don't okay i do not mind it i don't mind it i don't i don't wish he hadn't done it because he's dead and gone and i'm grateful that we have all his thoughts you know it's like this is his his thoughts are valuable however you know, it's like, it's kind of like to oversimplify it. It's like if we had a, a Da Vinci painting and as we got to the right side of the canvas, he actually just stopped and started writing down a bunch of his thoughts. <laughs> I would find that to be awesome. Also, it'd be like, you're right, man, this is really interesting. Painting. Yeah, like, yeah. Here we are. Like Da Vinci was painting this, this picture of a marketplace 
And it was such an amazing picture. And then over here on the edge, he's writing his thoughts on free market economics and the supply chains. And <laughs> I find this to be really interesting that Da Vinci had these thoughts, but I am no longer looking at a painting. This is gotcha. something different. And so I don't know where Lewis would have put this type of writing, you know, in this way, uh, if not here. And I'm glad we have it. Mm. You know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we have it. So I'm not critical of this book. You know, I don't read till we have faces and say three stars. Yeah. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I enjoy the book. Some of my favorite books uh, in my collection that I have are different editions of till we have faces. I really like them and I like this volume and I like his own view of it and the effect this book had on him. And I think it's obvious the effect this book had on him because he lost control of it. Mm. Like he clearly lost control of it. And it clearly impacted him. And so when you say lost control, you mean the emotional aspect of it. He had yeah. to kind of write his way out of this <laughs> he's, compelling, sad character he'd created. He's, we're driving in the snow right now, a lot, lot of snow here. I mean, he is spinning down the highway at the end. He's, yeah. there he goes. <laughs> uh, he's writing something that he created. He, he set up all the dominoes and they're all falling. And then he's, he's getting swept up in it. And, he, and it's, you know, careening where you, you look at, uh, you know, Michael Ward's analysis of the Narnia Chronicles. And should I just say here that I don't necessarily buy all of that, but it's, <laughs> we'll um, talk about it another yeah. time. And it's not because I necessarily disagree with it. I just, I'm a little more cynical as an author myself. I think I have a slightly different perspective on how these things happen, but that's an planet, episode. Yeah. We'll do that. Planet Narnia and all that stuff's cool. It is, is quite neat, but at the very least, Lewis had a very intact, wholly enfleshed worldview, and it came out of his fingertips and everything he did when he was- Oh, being, medieval cosmology. Yeah, yeah, when he was being thoughtful and in control of his writing. And you, you read the Narnia Chronicles, and there's something that's very coherent and whole and one. You know, there's, there's a tapestry across the entire series that plays out. And Ward argues that it's you know, planned from the very beginning. I think there's a little bit more Mozart there. I think there's a little more savant genius um, in, in Lewis's craft. But here, until we have faces, I think he wrote his own catnip. Okay. I think this is this above all else, this myth, this particular myth, and the retelling of myths specifically, and the retelling of myths in the North, and the theme of approaching holiness and northernness and the unreachableness and the yearning. And I think all of it and his own guilt and his own yearning for the resurrection and his own facelessness and his own honest perception of himself, I think all of it is just designed to have <laughs> exploded out of his grip and, mm. um, and made him an emotional mess. I guarantee you that he was weeping as he wrote different parts of this book. Mm. And that is not how great craft happens. Okay. So it's not necessarily how terrible craft happens, but it just, if you are deeply, deeply affected and deeply emotional. The emotion is in, no longer the servant of the craft. Correct. Yeah. And the emotion becomes. Is the, the master, is the master of the craft. So what you would say, um, it seems part of me. Is, I mean, do you feel that at the end? You're reading, you're reading the writing of a man deeply, deeply moved. He's being very moved by this whole journey, this whole experience. Yep, you're I right. Feel, I feel uh, like I mean, he's I mean, fully it's, in it's, love with this woman. It's the, the definition is lyrical. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah. It, it's, it's poetic in that sense, in the, in the, the Greek sense of like you're first person and you're going to go crazy and just talk yeah. for as, for as long until it's all the way through. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think, yeah, it's definitely lyrical. Um, in and a you, way you can think about there's, there's ways in which you read his writing that you feel that, yeah, he loved Susan, but he really loved Lucy, mm -hmm. right? You can yep. feel that. Yep. This is the book. And you can also feel in that hideous strength. You can, you can find his affections. You can see where his affections are strong, like where it's mm -hmm. really he, where he just has deep, deep loyalties and affections to Jane. Right. But not to Mark so much. Right. Uh, I think he, I think he. He has a deep sympathy for Mark because Mark is him. He is Mark. Yeah. Um, and so he has more honesty about Mark. <laughs> and <laughs> there so there's, there you go. he's a little more judgmental of Mark because, yeah. you know, he's, he's a you very humble person. But you think about his affection for Mrs. Dimble. You think about his affection for even for, you know, Miss Ironwood. Yeah. Uh, Maisie Dobbs. Like you, th you think about the places where this affection shows up. is a deep affection for Mr. Bultitude mm. that shows up in that hideous strength. But here, until we have faces, I think this is the one book where we see him be truly in love with the protagonist. Hmm. Yeah, I think he's really, really affected, and I think it's she's she spends her life unrequited, yeah, wishing she could be loved, mm -hmm. and so you you think uh, that that relationship with Bardia, her servant, or what is he? What do you call her? Her counselor? Yeah. Do you think that's the emotional heart of the book there? I think you have to read, if you really want to understand Till We Have Faces, you have to read Grief Observed. You have to read and try to understand the weirdness of his relationship with his wife. I think you have to read all of it. Okay. The backstory and the sort of like the unsentimental, straight up, like straight story, historical story of how he ended up with his wife, hmm. what he went through falling for his wife, the nature of their companionship and affection. The weirdness of that journey, the effect it had on his friends, how much of a Yoko she was as oh, far wow. as as far as the inklings were concerned. And yet he okay. was on this quest, like deeper and deeper into her affection. And then he ends up with a complete loss there. Like if you're really gonna understand this guy, the guy who crafted this story, you know, like you have to you have to get into all of it and get into all of him. Hmm. Um, and so I think there's a lot there to unpack about Lewis himself until we have faces, which is one of the reasons why I love it because he's very you know, present. He's one of the, yeah. And he's one of the biggest gifts we've received from God. You know, one of the biggest gifts the, the believers have received from God of the, in the 20th century. What do you think? Uh, do you think Orwell's let's talk about belief, I guess. So she doesn't believe in the God. She doesn't believe. Also, could we just say that he should have named her something else? Orwell. Why? Say it. Orwell? Orwell. 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 <laughs> it's kind of Owen Wilson would say Orwell. <laughs> or, 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 or. Could we name her something? Please. Could we name her something else? Psyche's so nice. Yeah, Psyche's Psyche such a, like or, Orwell. Orwell. There's a lot of vowels in it. I will give you that. I hadn't, I haven't, you know, I hadn't been so critical. Or a wall. Now, I, again, I don't, I'm not trying to. When I was eating the mac and cheese, I just was enjoying it's, yeah, it. Again, not mac and cheese. <laughs> And I'm not trying to be super critical, but I am trying to assess a master fairly. Yeah. Anyways, the main character, our protagonist. Or, or, or. <laughs> What's what I mean, is the deal Redival with the belief? is their sister, right? What's her name? Oh yeah. Redival? How do you pronounce it? I Redival. Redival. I always went yeah. with Redival, but Redival or Redival, either one is a more interesting name. Yeah. Or. Now I know you went ugly on purpose, but 
He's not Flannery O'Connor. We don't need Holga. <laughs> <laughs> you think he overdid it? It's on the. It's I just want a name that's easier to say. I just want a name that like might help us like her a little bit. See, more. I may run into this problem if I try to read the book out loud, but I've only read it quietly <laughs> to to myself in <laughs> to a myself. corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what. I know in one sense, I think you could see this as Orwell being the the atheist who can't believe, but it doesn't, that doesn't seem like a really fair read of what's going so. on in this story. What, what is that? The fact that she does not believe that her sister has seen a God or, or it is that actually what's going on with her? I think she doesn't believe that her sister's seen a God. I think that she's not an atheist, but she is a, a skeptic. I know. I think it's more mimetic than that. I think she's can't stand her sister. <laughs> okay. So she hates that her sister would be given that. Yeah. I think it's a little more Edmund where she herself has not been given. It's a, yeah, it's a sibling. Her sister's cute. Her sister has a face, you know, her yes. sister's not been, a. uh, she's not been a picture of modesty and decorum. <laughs> okay. Redival or redival. Neither of them have been well-behaved. She's been immodest. So why would she get to see, she's an unholy little scamp. Why would she get to see a god? Mm. There's this competitiveness there. She gets everything. And there's there's just resentment, it feels to me. Now, so there's a there's the disbelief of one who is who has never felt holiness. There's the disbelief of one who's never felt the presence of of anything holy. But it has less to do with any kind of philosophical or theological position and more to do with envy. And I think that's a theme that gets called out throughout as well. Okay. So um that envy of her sister results in denial and you know builds and it builds up that tension for her own breaking yeah you know when when she has her own encounter yeah you and the theme of you too shall be psyches repeated you yep. know regularly and it's funny because that's kind of what she's wanted she yep. wants to be psyche but when you find out what does it mean to actually look at a god or to be that close to holiness like you said yep it's no longer the thing that she thought it was. Yeah. Uh, it's not that, that. It's no longer the thing. And, and you actually, it turns out, need a mediator to approach it. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out that you're going to burn up. Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, yeah. how can the gods meet us face to face till we have faces? Yep. It's like, how do we get that face? And Not by shrouding our ugly face with a veil. Yep. And what we do is we shroud the holy places with a veil. And the theme here being the fact that the, the curtain was torn. You know, this is obviously, even the fact that she's wearing a veil is a reference to the fact of uh, the veil in the temple. Yeah. And the, at, the, at the atonement, that veil was torn, and we now have faces. Yeah. We now have faces because we now have, you know, the God-man. We now have an Adam with a face who stands yeah. before the throne of God, and we are in him. So there's, there's all this awesomeness wrapped up in that, but as far as her own journey goes, she just, she discovers kind of a simple destruction right it's okay like, i can't <laughs> like it's yeah i want this is long i can hide my ugliness i can approach something else maybe here maybe here lies beauty maybe here lies true identity and meaning and this is all solomonic yeah and very cliche and very normal and human i don't mean that in an insult to lewis i mean it's just very cliche of all of us here lies meaning here lies something greater that will make me beautiful mm -hmm. and pure and wonderful and instead behind that veil is something that's just terrible to approach until you have a face which she does not have yeah 
And I, I think he connects that face with also expression of what's actually on the inside. Yep. So she, she's unable. No, he means it on a not as like a masquerade, not as a mask. He means not as a, like a true, a true reflection of the self. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you read a novel, what it, what are you looking for? What do you want? I'm not talking technical craft side. I'm saying oh. like, what's the, what's the, I want, I'm curious if we read it for the same reason. Do you want to see through someone else's eyes or do you want to see the author's vision of the world? You want to be kind of granted or is it all of those things? <laughs> you know, it's been a long time since I've, I'm very selfless, Brian, when I read a novel, <laughs> I don't think about what I want. <laughs> You just dive in. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm picking something up and I'm reading it. Because I'm trying to get at why people like this. So why this has such a hook. Why this book has such a hook. Well, it doesn't. You don't think so? No, objective, it just, objectively it doesn't. I think it just gets the emotional. Okay. So now let's just, let's just talk practically. It does for some people, for some personality types, yeah. right? Yeah. But in, if we go through sales numbers, mm -hmm. right? We're talking about. His best-selling book of all time is Mere Christianity. Mm -hmm. His second best-selling book, we move into fiction. Second best-selling book of all time is Screwtape Letters. That's his first right. piece of fiction. Right. Third best-selling book of all time is Great Divorce. Mm -hmm. Now we're still in fiction, but we're still, you know, where he's playing in in uh, with bigger gestures. He's still breaking hearts and crushing people, and he's playing with some of the th same themes you see here. Until we have faces, I think specifically of the the woman in the evening gown. Who's hiding in the bushes? Oh, okay, you know, and she's saying it's not fair. <laughs> like, I think so. I, I, I need to reread. So she's hiding. She's not fair. She's thinking of herself. Like it's not fair that you all are so solid and beautiful, and I'm just. Oh this, yeah, I'm not dressed for this. Yeah, so yeah. she's in heaven, and she's worried that she's not dressed for it because she's a ghost. So she's hating how badly dressed she is by her own lack of physicality, and the angel helping her calls a stampede to terrify her to get her to, in terror, forget herself for a second and grab onto the angel for help. To just become, through fear, less self-absorbed for, for just a second. Now, the theme is one that gets played out until we have faces just kind of flipped around and, and, and played with. The theme of the, what he does everywhere, everything's, everything's everywhere in Lewis. And so the theme of a lack of faces, the theme of lack of physicality as you approach, the yeah. fact that holiness destroys you is a destruction. Mm -hmm. So you get off the bus in Great Divorce and you're destroyed by these awful blades of grass and every raindrop is a bullet and everything else. It's like that's all until we have faces too. As you try to approach holiness, until you have a face, this is just hell. Mm. Like this is hell. The fires burn hotter in heaven, much hotter than they burn in hell. Mm. You know, it's like that's everywhere in, in what Lewis writes. So, but that's not to get distracted. So Great Divorce is number two. Line the Witch of the Wardrobe is number three. Mm -hmm. And then we start bouncing through some Narnia Chronicles. And before we get through all of them, I think we hit the Space Trilogy. Uh, we might get through all seven before we hit the Space Trilogy. But we get to, Till We Have Faces is like okay, deep in its canon. It's not anywhere in the top of his sellers. Yeah. So not even top 10 then? Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, I would doubt it. I mean, if it, it probably does not crack his top 10 sellers. And if it does, it barely cracks. Right. So. Does it have a hook? Yeah, but it's a hook for a particular fish. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like this, this captures particular personalities and particular people love it deeply. I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. But if you told me you have to reread one of Lewis's novels 10 times 
I would not reread this one. I'd be over that hideous strength. It's like, or screw tape or great divorce. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Like all three of those would beat this out. And okay. I'd probably pick some Narnia Chronicles above this one too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess it's just different. It's different. It's, it's different. lovely. And I like it a lot. Yeah. Like I'm really grateful for it. It's fantastic. It is many people's favorites. And I know it was his. And it feels that way on the page. And I told you, like, I, I think it's, it's his because I, I think that there's more of him here. Hmm. You know, then, there, then perhaps there should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's more of him here. And I'm when we can be grateful for that. But uh, it's a great book. It shows, I think, I think it's an outworking of his love of mythology and outworking of his understanding of guilt. I think it's a little more obtuse and a little more pagan in places than it needs to be. But even that's enjoyable to me. I mean, I just like the whole experiment of it. Yeah. I mean, he subverted a myth, which is something that's very cool to do now. Yeah. Oh, so hip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of all the Gregory Maguire stuff and- um, Quite a few. You know- That they, are out and about at yeah, the time. Yeah. But I, uh, I, I found that interesting. It felt like something when you think about what the myth is about and then see he's gone ahead and written a new character. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> or taken one a character that exists. It's and Cupid then, and Psyche with an ugly girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Not Cupid or Psyche. <laughs> yes. <girl>. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's putrid and oral. <laughs> <laughs> And go, with that classic go Clive. <laughs> go Clive. Yeah, it's a great book. It really is. There's no way around the fact that it, the book is great. Like there is a there is a greatness to it. Yeah, there's and, a nobility for sure. Yep. And there is a greatness to Lewis that allows him to just do what he wants at the end. And you and I should all just bear with him and read it and enjoy it. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like it's well, I'm just impressed but, with how he handled the pagan uh, Ungit, where instead of Orwell being this sort of snarky modern character who snarks at everything, yep. there's instead a sense of reality, even with Ungit, especially with Ungit yep. and the gross priest of Ungit. <laughs> yes. You know, all, all those things, Lewis manages, he doesn't stereotype uh, this, this pagan world where you'd be tempted to go all modern on it, or I've read you know yeah. if you if if i read one of the worst things i've ever read in my life for grad school was a retelling of abraham and sarah um mm. and it was the most feminist take you could <laughs> and i just thought wow you can't even do justice to anyone except for the past 20 years of your life but, you know that's yeah. you read everything through that lens anyways lewis does not fail that you way. have a little cardboard tube that you found inside the toilet paper at a gas station and you're looking at all of history and mythology and literature through that yep <laughs> yeah and oh the vistas so i do there are times there are times when i've i've wondered if this is his, his best novel and i've gone back and forth and i think i you know it's like i've it's something it's a, it's a debate it's a discussion i've been part of and had i don't know 20 some years more than probably and I really, I really do think the more experience I have with this book and with his other books, the more I appreciate it for what it tells me about him. But it's you, you and this pretty is solid. It's not his best. Not his best. And it's, I mean, that's not an insult. Right. You know, well, and not everything kind of, can be the best. <laughs> no, in fact, by definition, uh, we're not communists. Um, but it's kind of like if, if he was an architect and you're look, visiting all his great buildings, you know, at different phases. This is one where I look at it and there's like one massive coherent thing going on. And then there's this odd wing at the end. <laughs> it's just, mm. just kind of 
going and yeah it's like why is that there why are you i'm i mean i'm happy to hang out here but why i'm curious if you could cut it off and resolve the story in any way and it seems like you can't because her life is ruined right so in that sense he needed an echo of heaven in there or divine justice a divine perspective what if you just cut she spends her life asking for the justice of the gods yeah and we know that she gets it but does the scene can you cut could you cut the justice scene before without without overtly saying it or is that going to ruin the story i think you the issue is not cutting it the issue is modifying how it's done it would yeah okay so the issue is having it be less and mm. and more existing more in the narrative as opposed to a sermon yeah as as opposed yes as opposed to an extended contemplation yeah accompanied by violins <laughs> <laughs> And Wagner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, a little bit for of Wagner sure. in there. For, for sure. sure. There, for sure. <laughs> for sure. We got some Wagner. <laughs> um, and uh, that might be the most insulting thing I've said today. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we love the book. We both love the book. Brian, apparently a little more than I do. But uh, we like it a lot. Yeah, I'm a sucker for classical stories. Send too, your so. comments and complaints to someone else because yep. Brian just had a son. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does care that he just had a son. But he doesn't care. He does, yes, he doesn't care about your comments. I'll give you a fake email address now. Uh, and we're we're going to be planning what we do with this here podcast in the year 2020 also. And 2022. That's what that means so, <laughs> in my witticisms. And so you'll be hearing more from us. There'll be more of these podcasts one way or another. This has been Stories or Soul Food, episode number something or other. Yeah. Happy I'm, New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> I'm Andy Wilson. I'm Brian Cole. Father of nations. Father of nations. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, check out the audio series, The Lewis Lectures by Douglas Wilson. Listen today at mycanonplus.com. Plus.com.